What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hi, hello, Hardwood Knox listeners. I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. Wanted me to keep the first introduction recorded in where I was choking co-host Andrew D. Bailey. We have some May Copas to get to today because believe it or not, sometimes Andy and I, just sometimes, very rarely, yeah. it's like a unicorn, we're wrong. Uh, it's just so rare. Rarely ever happens. Actually, for me, it happens a lot. But before we get to make Culpa season to close out the year, which we thought would kind of be a, a good year to self-evaluate, just the usual housekeeping notes. First and foremost, please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else we're listening. You're listening to your podcast. And if you need to rate and review us on another medium, we'd appreciate that as well. iTunes, though, even if you're not using it, if you could s- still go in there, Throw us a rating, write a review, subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. It helps out the pod a ton. We're always looking uh, for feedback and, again, just for those ratings to go up. But subscribing and downloading our episodes are the number one, number, number one way to continue helping the podcast. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli. Follow the Blue Wire Podcast Network and check out all the other cool podcasts we have to offer there, as well as my semi-awesome, at times, wildly terrible tweets at Blue Wire Pods. And finally, shout out to our sponsor this week, Untuck It. You'll hear an ad read from them in a little bit, but we appreciate all of our sponsors making this podcast possible, so shout out to them. Andy, how are you doing? How is your Christmas? Are you ready for 2020? How, how is everything? It was all great. Uh, Christmas was fun. My daughter is four now, so it's like it's becoming this big, big event. Uh, ben still doesn't quite get it. He's not quite two, but in, in fact, he was. I think he was kind of sick of presents at one point. Um, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a little getaway after Christmas, and um, now I'm already thinking about buying an Untuck It shirt. So, so you you don't even have to do the ad read. You've already sold me. So we're done. There we go. <laughs> Paid the bills. How was your Christmas? My Christmas was uh, it was it was all right. It was it was very low key. Watched the basketball. Did did a little bit of work. I'm excited because for the past month I've been living in the past because I was working on a, a decades project that you mm-hmm. of which you were kind of yeah. participating. And so I was like, after I filed it, it was basically right after Christmas. I like realized I've it was just when you're living in the past, even when you're watching basketball, I feel like I didn't take in the present as much. So I was doing a lot of catch up watching and and research and stuff. So that was uh, how I spent my post-Christmas, I don't even know what you would call it, post-Christmas sabbatical or something with a couple days off. So uh, that was super, that was super fun. Here's an important question. Um, when does when does the new decade start? Because I've been a little bit bothered by all of this 2010s decade stuff. 
in what do you in what sense? Like you're saying because decade should start at the year one, which would be 2010, 11, right? Which would take us through 2019, 20. Yeah, I think if you were doing when I was doing the research for the the most signature moment in every for every franchise over the past decade, I actually had the cutoff of I just went from January first, two thousand ten, and then technically the end is December thirty first, two thousand nineteen. And I'm just banking on the fact since it was already published that nothing's going to happen that would be too signature before the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably a good way to do it. But ever like with all the decade stuff that's been going on, and I did a, a decade thing for Bleacher Report too. I did top fifty players of the decade. Um, but I'm always just like, are we are we really done with the 2010s, or do we have to wait until the end of next year? But that's uh, that's a that's a fair question. Uh, <laughs> if you're using all of two, but I I feel like the start of the who the hell knows actually. That's yeah, a technicality. Um, the first question I did want to ask you though is about the Utah Jazz because we were we took a week off from podcasting. It was the holidays, and uh, both of us had a a lot of stuff going on. The Jazz acquired Jordan Clarkson, not a move that I ever would have predicted, but Dante Exum, your boy, and two seconds for Jordan Clarkson, who is on an expiring contract. What did you think of that move? What are your impressions of him so far since he has a couple games under his belt now? Um, it was unexpected for me, too. Not the Exum part of it. I, I kind of assumed he would get traded at some point this season. I just didn't expect it to be Jordan Clarkson. Um but the moment I saw the framework of the trade, I liked it for both sides. I, I think that Clarkson, the criticism around him, I think is fair. He's uh, kind of a shoot first guy. Uh, he's never been terribly efficient. He's having a, an efficient season this season. And it, obviously there's still plenty of time for that to turn. Um, but even the Jordan Clarkson of years past is an upgrade on what the bench was doing in Utah. Um they needed somebody who could get his own shot. They needed somebody who tried hard. Um, they they were spending so much time with Niang and Jeff Green on the floor together and just getting burned by opposing uh, bench wings. I mean, the the bench over on or the bench plus minus uh, was just awful this season. So I thought this is this is an interesting move for the Jazz. Um, I liked it pretty much right away. I don't think the price was was too much because Dante Exum was never, he, he was never going to be a valuable piece with Quinn Snyder there. He, he had made up his mind about Exum two or three years ago. And so he's already completely out of the rotation. So that part of it was that, that doesn't affect what Utah's doing right now at all. And then the two second round picks, um, I think you texted me thinking that that seemed a little bit steep and maybe it is, I guess it, it might depend on where those second round picks end up. Um, but maybe this maybe this is a, would be a problem for me if I'm a GM. But second round picks are just such massive question marks to me that I'm not too bent out of shape out of losing those too. So I thought ultimately they gave away three things that might not ever become anything for a guy who I think will help them a decent amount right away. And he's been good so far. It's a very very short sample. He's just played two games with Utah. But kind of what I expected is is there. Just having a guy who at least makes the defenses stay honest when he's on the floor will be good for this bench. Um, and sort of a, a fringe benefit is they're no longer going to throw 
George Niang out there as a three, which was just, I, I don't understand why they ever thought that would work. If he spends more time as a front court player, maybe he'll get exposed a little bit less. So I think there's a lot of benefits to it. I, I like it for both sides. I like the fact that Dante Exum is going to get a shot in Cleveland. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can, you know, make anything of it. Um, but anyway, this is a long rambling answer. It's the short answer is I liked it for both sides. Yeah, I think it was ultimately fair. The the two the two second round picks make more sense if you view Dante Exum's nine point six million dollar salary for next year as just complete dead weight, where it's basically which like, it would have been right. It's you. That's how it could be viewed. I guess it's just because he's still intriguing as a he doesn't really intrigue me on offense anymore, but defensively, it feels like he can really defend three positions, maybe against certain teams four if he stays healthy. But that's also another big question mark. Those second round picks, though, I mean, with the 2022 from San Antonio and the 2023 from Golden State, with the way those teams are tracking, there's a chance that they were just early second rounders. And so that's where I was coming from. I don't think that price tag is egregious. And you pointed it out was my main impression for the trade was that the Jazz needed someone to put pressure on the defense off the bench. That's held true beforehand, but is now infinitely more true that Joe Ingles is back in the starting lineup. And as you alluded to, the Jazz are 27th in point differential per 100 possessions among their reserves. So they they need that little punch off the bench. And Clarkson, at least in Cleveland, not not through his first uh, couple games of Utah, at least in Cleveland, he was shooting well from three. And so that'll be an interesting fit to monitor. Something that maybe flies under the radar with this, though, is that you take uh, Exum's $9.6 million salary and you turn into a $13.4 million player. And technically, if they wanted to, I'm not saying this is what they should do, but now you can then turn around and trade him for an even more expensive player if there's a seller at the deadline looking to get rid of somebody. Yeah, somebody, I can't remember who it was. Somebody pointed that out. I think it was maybe Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune um, right after the deal went down. And that was an implication that I didn't even think about. And it it puts them in range uh, of Andre Iguodala, which would obviously be interesting. Although, I, I, I think they're... I don't even know if this is what they're thinking about, whether they want to flip him for somebody more expensive as you just laid out. They're going to give Clarkson a chance to um, prove what he can do uh, this season. But that is, that, that is very, very fascinating to me because that opens up a whole new range of potential guys. It's a little bit difficult because he can't be traded in combination with somebody, correct? Yeah, I think that's 60 days, which would take them past the trade deadline. We'll yeah. actually double-check that. Right now, so but he could still be traded in connect. Like you could combine him with a pick, I would think. Still, yes. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe that does get them uh, somebody who's even slightly more impactful than than Clarkson. There would be a creative way to sort of circumvent the trade rules um, if they were to do that. But I'll it'll it'll be really interesting to see how he fits uh, over the next few games. And they have enough room under the tax to where they could use the full weight of that flexibility where he makes 13.4 million. So you can take back that salary plus 5 million. That's an $18.4 million player. So that's even with, I don't know who, again, I don't know who that player is, but if the opportunity presents itself to acquire player or players, that's, that's something that's just something to look at, but maybe he performs so well, or it becomes a non-issue that they don't even consider it. It's just something that's interesting. It tops out at 18.3, right? Is that what you said? Uh, 18.4. Okay. So I've got I've got uh, all the player contracts pulled up now. I'm trying to see if there's anybody that, that's gettable. Um, 
and in that range. And I'm not real, other than Igadala, I'm not real sure there's anybody else in that range that's maybe like imminently gettable for Utah. But it's it's a very fascinating idea. Well, even look, Exum for if it took Clarkson and a and a pick or something to get Igadala, you couldn't have done that with Exum. No, and so that yeah, that's a win. Not. That's a win in itself. Yeah, for sure. So that'll be interesting. The other thing I did want to ask you about is so the Kings, uh, just <laughs> sort of a a weird like two weeks for them. Buddy Heald seemed a little unhappy. He did apologize to his team. Then there's the report that Dwayne Dedman, who's not really part of the rotation anymore and wasn't really a part of the rotation even before Bagley came back from injury. Rachon Holmes broke out. They have Bielita. He requested a trade, which is just – it's funny when players of – I like Dwayne Dedman. I thought everyone <laughs> – I think his per year salary, if you're looking at what he did last season, is still an overpay, just of what we know about the center position. That being said, I was a big fan of the dice roll because I thought he would be a nice fit. Clearly, that might be one of my culpas is I was wrong about that. But it's just funny when a player of his caliber requests a trade. He's on a three-year, $40 million deal. I believe the final year is only partially guaranteed for a million or two. I can double-check that as well. Uh, I just – there's and then there's the whole – all-star promotion thing. I don't know if you saw that. I think I showed you where none of their players are going to make the all-star game. So I want to make this clear that I'm not saying that Richon Holmes should make the all-star game, but he's been the best player on their team this season by a fairly wide margin. And it, it yeah. might've still been De'Aaron Fox, but he he's dealt with injuries and yet they promoted Sacramento starts this campaign where they promote basically anyone except him. They launched <laughs> a campaign to send De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley and Harrison Barnes to the 2020 NBA All-Star game. That just is a weird appropriation of your of your you know marketing. I just I honestly did not understand that at all. And so is it are they like back in the realm of we need to make Kang's jokes here or something? Uh just because of the Dwayne Dedman trade, someone they just signed over the offseason, or is is this just I I don't know. Like what do you just make of the Sacramento situation right now? It does seem to be kind of <laughs> up to their old tricks, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're kind of a mess right now. I I was with you. I thought Deadman would be a lot better for them this season. I just looked up his per possession numbers with Atlanta last year. He was even better than I remember. Per seventy five possessions, he averaged fifteen points, ten rebounds, uh, block and a half, steal and a half, almost two threes, a sixty plus true shooting percentage. Um, and that just went sour in Sacramento almost instantly. Um, the Corey Joseph deal hasn't worked out real well either, nor has the Trevor Ariza deal. Um, it seems like some of the young guys, I mean, you, it's probably not fair to say that De'Aaron Fox has taken a step back because he's missed so much of this season. Um, but he hasn't looked quite as good as he did last season. Rashawn Holmes being clearly their best player is probably not something that many people could have anticipated at this point. I'm, I'm looking at their roster now. Um, can you guess how many of their guys are above average in box plus minus right now? Three. Ooh, you nailed it. Nice. Um, and the, the guys are Rashawn Holmes, Nemanja Bielitsa, and De'Aaron Fox. And Fox is just, he's, he's not real far <laughs> above average. So a lot of things have gone wrong. <laughs> For them, and it looked like they were going to have a little resurgence there for a little bit. Um, I don't know, like maybe two weeks ago, it seemed like they were closing in on 
the playoffs again, and then things have kind of spiraled once again. I don't I don't know what it's going to take um, for the Kings to officially get out of whatever they've been stuck in for the last what has it been twenty years now, um, fifteen years probably. So <laughs> it's it's just really hard to we we were talking about the Wolves and the the Suns before we started recording too. Um, it just seems exceptionally difficult in the NBA to be stuck as a bad team for a long time and, and to change that. Um, Phoenix got out of the gates pretty hot and everybody was saying, well, Monty Williams has changed the culture. They're going to fix things and they're right back where they were. Um, the Timberwolves are right back where they were. It's, it's just a really, really difficult thing um, to change a team. And it, as I'm saying this, I'm kind of chuckling because the Timberwolves actually did make the playoffs a couple of years ago with Jimmy Butler. Maybe he's the real culture changer. Oh, because <laughs> now Miami's really good. I guess maybe <laughs> I, he's with a bunch of people. I don't mind waking up at three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Yeah, that went a direction that I didn't anticipate. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, and it'll be interesting to see how the Kings close out the season. I wouldn't say that Deadman is immovable, but I just don't know what team actually needs him not that they don't need him but like what are they getting back from do they have to include a sweetener at this point so i ironically million, or, like that's that's manageable like i i, it, like I think it's just because next year you have to commit yeah. to paying him yeah, point three million. good point and yeah. then the, the final year of his deal is guaranteed for a million dollars so that's not a big deal you can look at it as an expiring uh, ironically or not, ironically, that the Hawks could use him. So I never understood why yeah. they let, why they let him walk. Anyway, ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 plus fit combinations. Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untucked style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle free button downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untucked, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Uh, this might be a good place to start Arme Copas, though. Just I was going to say that was a natural transition. Um, my transition is going to be to stay with the Kings, though. So these are just things that we got way wrong. I'm not – we're not going to – you know, the consensus stuff that we're wrong about, we won't focus on too much, I guess, but just what we individually got wrong in our talks before the preseason. And neither of us are afraid of being wrong, even though Andy claims that he has a 100% hit rate on all his takes. <laughs> uh, but the Kings, for me, I didn't predict that they were going to be really good. I thought De'Aaron Fox was going to end up being a top 20 player this season. That's basically where I put him when I did the, the top 100. I was encouraged by some of the off-the-dribble threes he hit last year and just his body of work in general. I was all, I'm not deplaning the De'Aaron Fox bandwagon, but I was all aboard De'Aaron Fox might be a top 20 player this season. And, and clearly I was kind of rushing his coronation there. I guess there's still a chance that they go on some kind of run and get back on track, but it's kind of hard to see that at this point. I thought 
I thought Buddy Heald was just going to continue to ascend. Um, and it's not that Buddy Heald has been bad. He just he just hasn't been what he was last year. Right now, his true shooting percentage is like two and a half points below average. Um, definitely something I didn't see coming. I, I thought Bagley would be better this season, and and he gets sort of the same pass that that we just gave De'Aaron Fox, and that he's been hurt for most of the season. So maybe he'll get back on track. But um, Boyan or Bogdan Bogdanovich, I thought might be a little bit better this season too. It's just like everybody. Basically, how many guys do you think played to like the peak of their 2018-19 capabilities with the Kings? As um, in they won't be better? Well, just they, they were as good as we could have expected them to be in 2018-19. Yeah, that's fair. It but- just it just seems like maybe I should have seen this coming <laughs> a little bit better than I did. Like so many things seemed to go right for them last season. Um, and so maybe it was, it was the more cautious approach would have been expecting some, some sort of a, I don't know if it's like a huge step back, but at least maybe a a step towards reality. Um, and it's easier to pinpoint that in hindsight than it is, you know, ahead of time, it was a young team and you, you know, this happens to, I think a lot of us, a lot of times is young team is a little bit better than expected one year. And then we just expect that trajectory to keep going. and, And oftentimes it doesn't happen that way. So this, this is, you know, if you're a Kings fan, hopefully this is just a detour and some of these young guys still have plenty of potential. Like I'm, I'm still, I still think De'Aaron Fox could be a very, very good player. I still think Marvin Bagley could be a very, very good player. It's just, maybe we were, at least I was maybe, maybe a year or two too early on this. Yeah, I was right there with you. I, I do think maybe there should have been some common sense regression involved at the same time. You also kind of saw the path to them getting better, maybe perhaps not making the playoffs, but increasing their win total, even though I believe I selected the under for them when we did that. But De'Aaron Fox, young, and then Marvin Bagley going into his sophomore season had a really nice close to the year. So there was also that idea, well, those guys are only going to get better. And that w- I thought that was fair. So ended up being a miss on our parts, though. And I, I missed hard on De'Aaron Fox so far. Still high hopes for him, but this might not have been the year to, to go all in on it. Yeah, I still think he could be a very, very good player, and and maybe he already, maybe he already is that. He just he's not. I ranked peak. him ahead of Chris Paul. Is my point in that exercise? So <laughs> I remember when you sent me the rankings, I thought that's that's fairly aggressive. On Darren you didn't Fox. even use the word fairly. You were like, well, that's <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> um, but I I get the um. I get the fascination with his potential for sure. He's, he's a good leader. He's got incredible speed and handles um, he's good feel for the pick and roll for a player his age. So I think he'll be fine. And I think, you know, again, if you're a Kings fan, I, I think you still have some reason for optimism. Um, maybe, maybe this season or at the start of this season is just a little bit of a hiccup for them. Um, all right, I'll do one now. <laughs> Another young team that I thought would just sort of have a linear progression and they're just nowhere near as good as I thought they would be. Um, I, I can't remember my exact words, but I believe in the over under pod or, or some preseason pod. I said the Atlanta Hawks might be a, a contender for a playoff spot in the East. And I believe they have the worst record in the league. They do. And right. you picked over 30, 34.5 wins for them. I have yeah. the receipts, everybody do not worry <laughs> over 34 and a half wins. Um, you know, I thought Trey Young was, and I, I think this is proven correct. I thought he was, you know, he had a chance to be one of the best offensive players in the league. 
Um, I underestimated what his defense might do to them. He's he's still they're just a mess defensively when he's on the floor. I, I obviously didn't foresee a 25 game suspension for John Collins, um, but even even still, I they should be better than worst record in the league. Um, even without John Collins, I mean they're they're just worse than I thought they would be. Um, I was I was never real high on DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish, but I thought you know at least Cam Reddish would be playable. He's he's been a disaster so far this season. I don't know if you saw the thing I posted the other day of guys who are sort of in his uh, statistical profile for rookies, and there's the the only pretty sure the only name on there who went on to have like a decent career was Will Barton. Um, other than that, it's a bunch of people that that no one's ever heard of. Um, so there's. <laughs> There's a lot going wrong with the Atlanta Hawks right now. I th- I thought they would be better. I just thought they would take a step forward, and they clearly have not. I saw – I was wrong in the sense that I saw the pathway to there. I ended up picking the under for them. I thought they were among the teams that we were rushing, uh, unlike me, who clearly wasn't rushing De'Aaron Fox's development at all. Very <laughs> level-headed there. So uh, this doesn't surprise me too much. I mean, you couldn't have predicted the John Collins suspension – that being said, their offseason was always tough to sort of wrap your head around with what they did. And I remember doing report card grades for Bleacher Report. And I actually think after I wrote it, I was like, I feel like I was too favorable. I might have given them a C plus or B minus or something. But just the, you know, the, the getting rid of playable NBA players for just the Bazemore Turner swap. It felt like they were doing Bazemore solid. Uh, you let Deadman walk when you had the salary cap flexibility to to keep him and not really harsh your your plasticity moving forward that that was odd going all in on deandre hunter like that where just the price felt like it was bizarre because what you had to take on salary and you had to give up pick it was just that trade was still even as deandre hunter looked like he could play make more than i think people thought leading into the year that was uh that that trade just felt a little off so they their offseason was always a little tough for me to wrap my head around i think it's really coming to bear now in in their record and so I'm definitely with you I don't think anyone thought they were or at least I didn't think they were going to be the worst team in the league or even contention for it that was you know everyone was talking about the Wizards or the Knicks or the the Hornets mainly so uh, this is definitely surprising that might might be a good next make culpa to start with actually no let me start with my own so I don't want to loop you into this one because we have a couple (laughs) collective make culpas this is my worst miss of all time, perhaps. The Dallas Mavericks. And I already wrote something on this. I made a joke that they were going to be an 11 seed. It was a joke. But even on this podcast, I picked the under for them at 40.5 wins. And I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, obviously. And as we record this, they are the number four seed in the Western Conference within one win of the third, of the second and third seeds in the Western Conference, they are not just winning the minutes without Luka Doncic, who is an MVP candidate, but they're destroying opponents without Luka Doncic on the floor. And I know a lot goes into that, but when he missed those few games and you saw them beat the Bucks, picking up wins like that uh, was mm-hmm. without him was absolutely incredible. So they were. I never would have said that they they were going to have the the best offense in the league by a mile. Their offensive rating is 117. Second place is Milwaukee at 114.6. And their defense has been pleasantly average. They're 15th. And that's not something that I really could have could have predicted. They've done just a good job of, you know, they don't really force turnovers, but but they don't foul. And 
Uh, so they seem to have a lot of just good decision makers there. And, and they've, they have just caught me completely off guard. I was very high on Luka Doncic, but I thought with KP coming back from his ACL injury, that fit being new could be an issue. I wasn't too impressed with their depth. And, and yet I think they have, you know, we talk about the Jazz's bench. They're 27th in point differential per 100 possession. The Mavericks are first. So I never would have predicted that they had the best bench in the NBA, even when factoring in the, the Rick Carlisle voodoo that you have to each and every season. That This will be, if they keep this up, one of my biggest misses of all time. I was um, higher on the Mavericks than you were, but I, I, I think the, the concern that I pinpointed preseason was the bench. Um, <laughs> I, I thought they would have a problem winning minutes when Luka Doncic was not on the floor. And as you just pointed out, that has clearly not been the case. Um, they're... <laughs> They're phenomenal. They're they're better than I expected them to be. I thought that they would be sort of scratching and clawing for one of the last couple spots in the West. I didn't think they would be firmly in the playoffs and and you know in the driver's seat for home court advantage. And and maybe driver's seat is a little bit too generous because it's pretty tight, like one through six in the West right now. Um, but the idea of them missing the playoffs that's that's pretty much gone. Um, and they were. Even when Luca went down, they were they surprised me again. Like that Bucks win that you just mentioned. The 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 supporting cast around Luca has been so much better uh, than I thought it would be. And I was thinking about this the other day. Like not only do they have the best offensive rating of all time right now, do you remember that they were on pace for the this same record like five or six years ago, and then they got the Rondo trade and it derailed them? Oh boy, I forgot about that. that. Yeah, that season, it was once again sort of a random collection of guys um, that I think a lot of people didn't expect to be very good. And and I may be remembering this wrong, but I'm pretty sure they had the best offensive rating of all time. At the time, they made the Rondo trade, and everything just sort of spiraled out of control after that. Um, you, you called it the Rick Carlisle voodoo, and maybe there's something to that because – this he is just incredible at getting the most out of um, role players. And, it, it you know, I, I underestimated that. Um, I think a lot of people probably <laughs> underestimated that. But everybody after Luca and Porzingis has just been uh, phenomenal this season. They've been so much better than I expected. Um, and I think Carlisle deserves an extra shout out for that postgame press conference that he gave <laughs> a few nights ago where he talked about how the, the post up is dead. And, um, that, that was like, a <laughs> that speech or whatever we want to call it, that's near and dear to my heart, because that's something that we've been pounding the, the drum or the table on for weeks and weeks and weeks. They're, they're such a smart organization. Um, and they're, they're just really, really good. I, I took the over on them, but I did not think I, I was, I'm sure I sort of hemmed and hawed over it. Um, they're going to smash 40 and a half. There's, you know, I don't think you, you don't have to take a make culpa there at all. That That's entirely on me. So, but what's interesting about them is you mentioned it kind of, so they're, they're winning the minutes without Doncic by about six points per hundred possessions, which is huge just with, without taking, without him being in the lineup. But they, what really was concerning, and we both lose this with the bench is after there, and Porzingis hasn't even been great for a good part of this year. But when you looked no. at Doncic and Porzingis, the drop off to their third best player, which I still can't really identify who that player is. There are so many different candidates. For, one, right? That would might be my guess, but I don't think it's like this clear cut no. debate. And so the drop off there is bigger 
than let's say the drop off between Damian Lord, CJ McCollum, and the Blazers' third best player, whether it was Zach Collins, uh, Anthony Simons. So that's where the concern was rooted in for me. But the fact that they have the best bench in the league is just it's crazy. Yeah, I I think anybody who who sits there and says, "Oh, I knew the Dallas bench was going to be this good," is is lying because um, that was really 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 difficult to see. And you just mentioned the Blazers, so my next one, uh, if we're done with that, is uh, it's a Blazers player. Oh, here we go. Been waiting for this. <laughs> um, I am going to uh, hedge a little bit and say there's still time for this to go mildly oh, wrong. <laughs> but I was I was wrong about Carmelo Anthony. I just was. Um, he's been better than I thought he would be this season. Right now, um, his his box plus minus is well below replacement level. But Portland's uh, net rating swing is six point two with him. They're plus three point two points per hundred possessions with him on the court. Minus three with him off. The record's obviously better since they've signed him, he's averaging 16 points and six boards and shooting 40% from three. He's not, he's not really commandeering the offense uh, from what I've seen so far. It still clearly runs through Lillard and McCollum, but he's doing, I think what, what everybody kind of wanted him to do, which is um, provide a little bit of a pressure release for those two guys, hit some open threes and he's doing it well. Um, You know, he's, he's not going to be like a lockdown defender for the Blazers or anything like that. But I, you know, based on what he had done in Houston and OKC, what what we saw in that playoff series with OKC versus the Jazz, I thought it was done for Melo. I, you know, I just figured that's it. He's he's never going to have a positive impact again. And so far, <clears throat> through 18 games with the Blazers, he has he's definitely had a positive impact. And I was I was just flat out wrong about that. Yeah, there's if you're going to sign someone off the street who hasn't played basketball in a year, and this is the production you get from him. I think you have to be happy. And I was on the the Blazers Edges podcast the other day, and I just wondered if there was something to – what I think was overlooked during his time at Houston and OKC, he wasn't necessarily the most gracious person in accepting the roles that he had, but he was taking the shots for the most part that everyone wanted him to. More threes, yeah. a bunch of catch-and-shoot looks. He just wasn't hitting them. He's shooting almost 42% on catch-and-shoot threes in Portland. But I'm also wondering if there's something to the the fact that they let him work off the dribble. It's not to the point where it feels domineering necessarily, although there have been uh, some of the games that I've seen and where it feels like I, I was looking at his turnover percentage the other day and it's under 12 and it sometimes just feels like it, it's way higher watching him. But they do let him work off the dribble. He's not hitting those those shots off the dribble at a high clip, but does that help him get in rhythm more for those catch and shoot opportunities because he just has a better feel for the game? I don't know. I just think there's Maybe there's something to them allowing him to explore that, or maybe they're not allowing him so much as they desperately need him to at least try (laughs) a little bit. And like you said, he's never been a good defender. He's not rebounding at a high clip. He's not finishing around the rim at a high clip for them. He's shooting okay um, from those in-between zones that he he seems to love. Uh, 27.1% on long twos, but 43.1% from 10 to 16 feet. So he's been a lot better than I think anyone could have predicted. And then also... What's interesting, and it's surprising because I saw some Blazers fans were starting to complain about Terry Stotts, the Blazers have him just screening more, which I think was a criticism dating back to his time in New York where people wanted him to screen more. Melo, when you look specifically at Rollman possessions, is averaging as many per game as DeAndre Jordan, finishing them anyway. And so 
I would imagine, I don't have access to this data specifically, but that he's setting even more screens. And while he's not finishing well in those situations, excuse me, those situations, I can't talk today, but or ever, apparently. But the Blazers offense, I think Zach Lowe at ESPN wrote about this, is actually pretty efficient in those situations where he's being used as, as the screener overall. And so that's a, that's a credit to Melo himself, but also Terry Stotts. And so I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. And it's cool that he's not done because I hate seeing, I always liked him. I thought he was overrated, but I liked him. And the debate of whether he's a hall of famer or not, I think has gotten out of control. And it's just the players of his caliber. Um, I know a lot of this is self-inflicted. I don't really like seeing them go out just, just in such this, I don't want to say ruthless fashion, but in, in an unsavory fashion. And so it's nice that he's playing well enough to where if this was his last season, it's a semi-high note, or it's cool that now his career can sort of end on his own terms. Because if he finishes the year like this, regardless of what happens with the Blazers, there will be other teams that want him next year. I'm not saying he'll get yeah. a payday in free agency. Whoever's paying an age 56 Carmelo Anthony in free agency, that's <laughs> look, that's going to be on you when the returns aren't good. But it's cool to see that he has rebuilt some of his some of his uh, functional goodwill on the court yeah I absolutely uh agree with all that that was that was just a big whiff for me do you are you okay with me doing what our collective may culpas were very quickly and then I'll get to one that's just me uh let's do it I have three for us and I, I think the wizards are just a universal one I did not <laughs> see them being remotely entertaining I just don't, you know, they're still, their offense has fallen off, but they're still eighth in offensive efficiency. Davis Bertans hasn't missed since 2018, I don't think. And so. Do I get any credit for Bertans? Look, I'm still not, the Spurs look bad, but I think if they actually got Marcus Morris, that I wouldn't view Bertans as such this huge loss. I think Marcus Morris is a better player and did more of what would have helped the Spurs than Bertans did. Just because his style was just never going to mesh with San Antonio's. They didn't let him shoot that many threes or didn't play him enough to have him shoot that many threes. So they deserve to be burned twice for for letting go of him (laughs) and for not making right. All right, that's one way to look at it too. Uh, So those were ones. And then these ones were – Charlotte is probably more of a universal miss. They're not good, but they're fun bad because they have the 27th point – differential in the league I believe it was last time I checked maybe they've moved up a little bit uh they are they're 25th so congratulations to Charlotte but they might make the playoffs they have 13 wins and their over under when we recorded was 23.5 and we both took the under without even hesitating yep and so unless they just blow it up they might actually hit that and they might make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference they are three games in the loss column out of the eight seed Orlando Magic they probably won't but they're not the worst team in the league. And then, and I like, I actually like watching them. I enjoy PJ Washington. Uh, I still enjoy miles bridges. I'm not ready to give up on him. And then uh, Devonte Graham has been spectacular this year. And the final one, I don't know if this, I guess they are technically contending for a playoff spot, but I do think that us and many others were ready to declare the bulls like this yeah. fun upstart all of a sudden. Yep. And they are kind of not so much. So with the Wizards and the Hornets, I, I think um, the easy out for all of us is no one could have seen. I mean, even I, who, um, you know, I was high on Davis Bertans. I didn't understand the trade. I didn't think he'd be as good as he's been. Uh, I don't think anybody could have expected their offense to be what it is this season. Um, 
So that that wasn't like that that wasn't a uh, egregious miss by us. That that roster in the preseason just looked awful. Uh, and then with Charlotte. I don't think anybody could have seen the Devonte Graham ascension either. Um, he just came out of nowhere and he's been phenomenal this season. Um, remind of oh, the bulls. The bulls is, um, I wish I could forget about the bulls too. <laughs> that one's harder to explain away. And, and to this day, I still don't really know. Is it just boiling? Like, are they, are they, using these guys wrong because when I look at that roster it still makes sense to me I don't I don't look at that and think you know here's here's my obvious miss here's the thing that I that no one could have seen coming um a lot of those pieces still fit together like maybe maybe the obvious one is Laurie Markkinen I you know I think all of us expected him to be quite a bit better than he has other than that it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint this is where it all went wrong um Otto Porter's been out for a lot of the season but it's it's hard to you know put all of Chicago struggles on that. So Chicago's Chicago's the head scratcher to me of those three that you, you just outlined. That feels like it might be a coaching situation, but you know, that, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> so yeah, there, I, I agree with you there that the, the Hornets and the Washington were more universal misses or misconceptions and that the bulls were a team. We both picked the over for them at 33.5. Yeah. My, um, I'll go to a lone miss for me so that you're not included in it. I won't call this a miss, but I'm just going to say I was wrong and I took heat from them. I was probably overly concerned about the Milwaukee Bucks this season. It wasn't just that they lost Malcolm Brogdon, but their secondary wing rotation to me felt like it wouldn't hold up. And I think there are still people that are concerned about how their shot creation will translate into the playoffs this year, which I, I still believe is fair. That is something to question. Giannis, though, this season has already hit more off-the-dribble threes than he did all of last year. That's crazy. He's not yeah. hitting them at a super high clip, but if he's going to take them, you can leverage him as a threat in that way, and that helps. Yep. We both, I believe, yes, we picked the under for 57.5 for them, and they're currently on pace at 29-5 and five, uh, to win, what does that amount to over 82 games? 66-67 games this season. <laughs> uh, they have the second-best offense in the league. Their defense is first in points up per 100 possessions right now. They've been, and they've navigated some adversity. They've, they've had some, they've had some injuries. Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez wasn't hitting wide open threes to start the season. I wasn't. Giannis has probably missed, you know, three or four games at this point too. Yeah. And look they're the Giannis at center lineups are finally just steamrolling opponents there. I think I sent you something about this a week or two ago. They had been, they weren't a net minus all the time, but they had seldom gone to it. He's already logged a career high number of possessions at center. And so that's just another thing to look at. Can that hold up in the playoffs? Those are all fair questions. But I, I think I was too cautious with them, which was ultimately unfair to Milwaukee. Giannis is just out of this world. And look, again, there are some things that I'm still going to wonder about leading into the postseason. I do, however, think one as a perennial Chris Middleton defender that yeah. their their secondary stars, if you want to call them that, are almost underrated at this point. I he's someone who's shown that his shot creation can hold up in the playoffs. I know the half court offense fell apart against Toronto, but maybe it's just different this year because I do think Middleton is that good of a player where he could be better. And then the other thing to sort of monitor is that Eric Bledsoe has not been good the past two postseasons. I think it would be ambitious, let's put it, to say that he's going to be good this year in the postseason, but he has shown to me just in the games that I've watched, just 
a little bit more one-on-one juju. He's averaging 1.3 points per ISO possession this year. 1.3. That's better than the league's best offense. Only 10% of his plays. But if you can count on that as even this accessory part of his game, I do think that's important. So somehow only me would need to do a make culpa on a team that is on pace to win 66, (laughs) 67 games right now. Well, I took the under on them too. Um, 57 and a half just sounded so high at the time. And I, I still thought they would be very good and possibly the best team in the East, but they're going to, like you said, they're on pace for mid to high sixties, which is obviously a lot higher than 57 and a half. I underestimated some of those potential Brogdon replacements too. Like I, I like Pat Connaughton. I've always thought he's a little bit underrated, but I think he's been better than expected. I think Dante DiVincenzo has obviously been quite a bit better than many expected him to be. So, um, I was I, I missed on them too, so don't feel too bad. Um, I had one. Oh, the Pelicans are one that I was going to go to. I, I took the over on their thirty nine and a half. You wisely took the under. Um, <laughs> last I checked, and let me pull this up again real quick. They are now they're they're eleven and twenty three. Can you guess what their chance to make the playoffs is in five thirty eight's projection? Their chance at yeah. I'm going to say less than five. 42 percent what <laughs> i don't know and, are and, they and waiting so, the four game winning streak <laughs> i don't understand what i did when i first saw that the other day it was at 30 and i even at 30 i thought what that's in, that's wild um so i looked up remaining strength of schedule they have the third easiest remaining strength of schedule in the league um and and maybe the projection is just defaulting back to what they thought the pelicans would be before the season started and we factor in the fact that the seventh and eighth seeds in the west might both be below 500 this season so at 11 and 23 say they finish with like 37 38 wins maybe that's in contention for a playoff spot but 42 percent just sounds really really high um anyway that's that's my long-winded way of trying to justify uh <laughs> the fact that I was in on them this preseason but I, I they're not going to get to 40 wins which is what I said when I took the the 39 and a half over um that I I thought Lonzo Ball would be better um I also missed on Brandon Ingram just the other way incidentally I, he's he's been better than I expected but a lot of the other pieces just haven't fit together quite as well as I expected um Derek Favors spending a lot of the time a lot of the season injured is probably something that I should have expected um but just didn't I thought he would he would make perfect sense for them right off the bat um I I guess overall similar to the Bulls I just looked at that roster and thought these pieces fit together in my mind and so I could see them being solid and uh they just they, they haven't been as good as I thought they would be they do have I think it's like the best defense in the league since Derek Favors returned to the lineup yeah over that so, like eight right, or nine I, game span. I just needed Derek Faber's uh, injury history to be gone all of a sudden. I think you can at least chalk those up a lot of maybe their struggles up to injuries. You know, Lonzo Ball hasn't been healthy. Drew, Drew Holiday seemed banged up to start the year. They don't have Zion Williamson, obviously. Maybe I'm just setting up my next May Culpa as an excuse. I bought way too much Golden State Warriors stock. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually, when we were looking at this, and I looked in our, our super secret official Hardwood Knox document that you picked the over at 48.5 as well. Did I like make an impassioned plea for you to join me? Um, no, I, I have no uh, excuse for myself either. They, I picked Stephen Curry to win MVP. I, I, I thought they were going to make the playoffs as a top four, top five seed. 
I was wrong. And look, we could not have predicted the spate of injuries that they suffered. Russell has missed time. Stephen Curry's still on the shelf. Green has missed a little bit of time. Looney got injured. But I knew they weren't going to have Klay Thompson. I knew Kevin Durant had left. And when Stephen Curry got injured, they were still, I think, the worst team in basketball. And so they've they've perked up a little bit over the past couple weeks where people have now started to joke about, hey, if Steph comes back and they're like within five yeah. or six games of the playoffs, this team is still 9-25, and 25 and they, they were tracking towards a similar fate with Stephen Curry in the lineup. And yeah. so I missed on them in some form. If, if injuries can alleviate uh, some of that, then I will welcome it. But if they can, I totally understand because they were they were bad with him. And so that's a team that I, I really need to make a retraction on. Yeah, I was off on them too. <laughs> uh, speaking of those 538 projections, even even with their recent uptick, they're the only team in the league that's at less than 1% uh, chance to get into the playoffs. And I think they'll be abundantly cautious with Stephen Curry, knowing that the chances of doing anything with him this season are, are extremely low. Um, they're going to protect that uh, that draft pick they've got coming. Um, so I don't <laughs> I don't think we're in danger of seeing a late season Warriors run to the playoffs. And like you it said, it would be took, hysterical if that's what happened though. Yeah, it would be amazing. Um, I, I took the over on them too. I was wrong. There was a little part of me that was, um, there was a little piece of me that, that wanted to be more critical and take the under, but they had just been so dominant for half a decade. And it was one of those things where you're like, well, they, I just have to see it before I say that they're done or, or you know, um, kind of the, the typical line that we throw at the Spurs over the last several years. Um, and now now we are absolutely seeing it. So maybe they bounce back. I don't I don't know if this draft is good enough to give them their Tim Duncan moment. Like, you know, when the Spurs had that one terrible year and got Tim Duncan at number one, I don't there's there's clearly not that guy. Mm-hmm in this draft, but maybe if Stephen Curry is fully healthy and Clay Thompson is 95% of what he was before the ACL, they can make one more run at it next season. Um, but right now it's not looking good. Do you have another one? Uh, let me scan here. Um, I have one more so I can do that while you're scanning and I'm not, I think it's a TBD one, but at the start of the season, I was probably riding too much of a, and I'm normally pretty good about not reading too much into the preseason and summer league, but I wrote about how this draft class was going to be deeper than advertised. Mm. And there's still a level of TBD there uh, just because you have guys like Matisse Thibel, uh Maybe Kobe White gets better as well. Tyler Hero has been a nice surprise. But, you know, the Nikhil Alexander-Walker stuff, I bought into that. And he really hasn't uh, matched that hype that he built up. Uh, you know, Darius Baisley was hitting threes to start the year. But then you go back and forth because Brandon Clark, has been amazing. John Morant looks like a franchise player, but then you go back and forth again because RJ Barrett sort of looks in between, but you chalk that up to him suffering from a case of playing for the Knicks. Uh, it's, I, I still think that's up in the air. We haven't seen enough of these guys, some of these guys, um, you know, Gogo Patadze, Sekou Dumboya to, to really make uh, any sweeping conclusions. But I, I think I was a little bit too ambitiously optimistic about this draft class after the first few weeks of the season this class is kind of a hard one to evaluate and i think i think you just pinpointed a lot of the things that makes it difficult it it could wind up being one of those years where the best players in the draft were taken outside the lottery right because it's like you know it's cool to have eric pascal you know becoming a part of the warriors or pj washington but then you know jared culver and cam reddish have not been very good 
terrible. Um, Brandon Clark has been phenomenal. Some of his advanced numbers are amazing. I, I looked at, I did a little thing on him for the uh, Bleacher Report NBA Digest a couple weeks ago. His percentage in the floater zone is just unbelievable. He's got incredible touch. And you in the hate paint. the floater zone too, so that's... I know. <laughs> Unless you're otherworldly at it, like Brandon Clark. He's always moving. I was watching their game. He's awesome. I who they were playing. He's just always moving. Yeah. I love, I, I you know... I love the Grizzlies' young core. I love Brandon Clark. I think John Morant's going to be good. Um, it, can we still count Kyle Anderson as part of the young core? He's probably in his mid-20s at this point, so maybe not. Um, I, I, I like what they're building in Memphis. So that's that's probably a good one to pinpoint, but that is a tough draft class uh, to evaluate. I actually found one that's pretty obvious for me that I probably should have pinpointed last night. Um, I took the under on the Los Angeles Lakers at 49.5 wins. Um, I still, you know, I still have some questions about their supporting cast, but they've, they've just been a lot better than I thought they would be. And the other thing that I was maybe leaning on is there've been so many seasons where LeBron James, uh, you know, basically assembles a super team, obviously with Miami and then he did it in Cleveland. And there always seemed to be a little bit of an adjustment period. It's like there was no adjustment period whatsoever with him and AD, and maybe this is the kind of player he he should have been paired with all along. And it's you know it's obviously hard to say, let's go find an Anthony Davis guy and pair him with LeBron James, but right. the the plug and play nature of that duo has just been in, incredible. Um, last I checked, the top assist duo in the league was those two guys, and it was by a, a huge margin. Um, that has just worked about as well as it possibly could. And then they've had a bunch of guys that have just been, uh, we've, we've said this about a few teams, but they've just been better than expected. I, you know, Dwight Howard has obviously been, been better than a lot of people anticipated that he would be. Um, Alex Caruso has been effective for them. They've, they've had a lot of guys who have, um, just maybe not like blown the doors off expectations, but have, have been good or a little bit better <laughs> Than expected, and when you have a top two that's as good as Davis and LeBron, or a top three if we want to throw Danny Green in there, um, if you can just get solid contributions from other guys, that's that's all you need. Um, so I was I was way off on the Lakers picking the under on forty nine and a half is going to look terrible because I just did the uh, the pace that they're on, and they're on pace for sixty plus wins too. So they're gonna they're gonna obliterate that forty nine and a half. Yeah, that was – I mean, you weren't alone, but that's going to look – if they get into like the mid to high 50s, that's not going to look so great. And I I think they're going to get to 60. I mean, they're – the one thing with them is they're one um, significant injury away from being in deep, deep trouble. Um, and and they're, that's just kind of the construction of their roster, and that's the, that's the nature of <laughs> trading essentially your whole team for one guy. But they, they've just been – as long as everybody's in the lineup, they've just been absurd this season. And, and uh, pardon me if I'm rambling at this point, but LeBron James doing what he's doing in his age 35 season is just ridiculous. I don't know if you saw this the other day, but I posted a blind comparison of LeBron this season versus the 25-year-old LeBron, so 10 years ago. And, and you know, the 25-year-old LeBron is one of his best seasons ever, and he comfortably won the blind comparison poll. But he's putting up comparable numbers as a 35-year-old. He's posting his highest assist average of his career. Um, what he's doing at this age is just uh, absurd. I mean, no one else has come close to this, I don't think. 
I'm with you, and I don't necessarily understand the argument of people who think that AD is more valuable to the Lakers than LeBron no, at this point. Close. There's look in the minutes LeBron plays without AD, the Lakers are plus eight point five points per hundred possessions. That's a seven thirty two possession sample size. In the minutes Davis plays without LeBron, the, the Lakers are minus point three points per hundred possessions, and they've he's played a similar amount of time without LeBron as well. I think that just highlights the importance of LeBron's just table setting for everybody because you could say, well, there's a big difference when Davis goes from playing with LeBron to Rondo, and that's sort of the point, that Davis is still yeah. reliant on offense to a higher-level creator or someone who could do that to to some yeah. degree where he can't really define your team on that end, defensively for sure, but he's not someone who could define or carry your team on offense for, I would say, extended stretches anyway. So top five, top seven player for sure, but to me, if – if we're doing MVP ballots, I think LeBron is comfortably ahead of AD for me. Oh, he, he's easily ahead of AD for me. Um, I, I was curious, you know, based on the statement that I threw out a couple minutes ago, um, here are the best age 35 or older box plus minuses for a season. Uh, number five, Charles Barkley at five and a half. And he's actually tied with a bunch of guys. So Bird had a five and a half season. Duncan had a five and a half. David Robinson had a five and a half. Uh, number four is Carl Malone at 5.9. Number three is Carl Malone at 6.8. Number two is Carl Malone at 6.9. And number one is LeBron James at nine. Um, wow. So way, way ahead of the rest of the top five. What he's doing is just, um, it's unreal uh, at his age and the amount of minutes that he's played over the course of his career. It's just, uh, I don't, I don't know what else we can say about LeBron at this point, but uh, again, I was wrong about the Lakers. <laughs> that does uh, it for me on my Copas. Do you have any more? My biggest yeah, ones, I'm, anyway. I'm sure I have some more, and maybe the uh, maybe the listeners can remember some crazy things that I said and throw them back at me on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey. And if you want to do the same thing to Dan, uh, I'm sure he will thoroughly appreciate that, at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at blue wire or that's the the podcast host is at blue wire pods the sponsor is at nba underscore math um as always we encourage you to rate review and subscribe to the show if you've already done that tell your friends family neighbors acquaintances uh people you bump into on the street all that stuff tell them hey hard but not uh pass it on <laughs> until next time we leave you with a shout out to ben Udry and kyle anderson Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.